In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here on this Sunday just before Thanksgiving. Father Scott is not feeling well, so he's not with us this morning, and he's tasked me to preach and celebrate Holy Eucharist, which I am more than happy to do. Uh, It came a bit spur of the moment, so... Man, I cannot remember, to be honest with you, I've made jokes before in this pulpit, but I seriously, I have nothing in front of me. This, there is no manuscript today. Um, but that's okay, because I've preached the gospel, this gospel passage before Father Scott wanted to emphasize today's gospel reading. And so it's been a couple years. And of course, I have all of my prior sermons just cataloged in my head just fine. So... Uh, No need to go print that out or anything. Uh, We'll be good to go. So sit back for the next 45 minutes and you're going to get everything. I was told uh, one of my professors, preaching professors, he shared with us as these wide-eyed students, we didn't know anything, and he said, preaching a short sermon is actually a lot harder than a long sermon. And we just categorically disagreed with him. We said, no way. Like, I would always want to preach a five-minute sermon or a 10-minute sermon, not 30 or 40 minutes. And he said, are you kidding? In 30 or 40 minutes, tell them everything you want to tell them. They won't remember a thing. But for five minutes, you better make it good. And I was like, yeah, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. So we're going to meet in the middle on that today. We're going to talk about our gospel reading, which is has much to say to us, much to say to us as uh, generally as the church, and then I think even here as All Saints Church in Woodbridge, especially given the context of that, given the context of the New Testament reading plus the epistle, and even the time of year that it is. So let's bring all of this together in a few moments. Liturgically speaking, we're coming up on the end of the year. Yes, we know this, right? The new year starts on December 3rd, the first Sunday in Advent. So we're just weeks away from saying Happy New Year liturgically. We know Advent looks forward to the coming of Jesus. And so the end of the year, always in November, the readings deal with Jesus coming, Jesus coming. And we get there in Advent. And now we live in what's known as the time between the times. There's been the time of his first arrival, and there will be the time of his second arrival. We're in between that. So we look back, but we also keep our eyes forward, right? Today's epistle reading, I didn't, I shared the verse that comforts me, not the verse that that used to scare me. I remember as a young boy and a teenager, and I grew up in the Assemblies of God tradition, which the Assemblies of God, I'm so thankful for that time uh, being raised in it. Something that is very important uh, to most people that would call themselves Pentecostal or would worship in that tradition is focusing on the second coming of Jesus and also what's known as the rapture, especially classically. Like if you think historic, early 20th century, mid 20th century, that's one of like the major stakes that Pentecostals would hang their hat on. Um, I'm the grandson of a Pentecostal preacher. My dad's father was a boxer and got saved in the depression and became a pastor. And he had nine sons. My dad was the sixth of nine boys. Several of my uncles 
were one, no, they're, they're all retired now. My uncles are retired, but some of my cousins are pastors, all in the Pentecostal tradition. I am the black sheep. <laughs> um, and I can remember hearing how important it was to preach about the return of Jesus, to preach about that. I can remember as a boy and teenager, as a teen, as a teen in youth group, we watched this, this movie uh, our youth pastor showed us, and it was called A Thief in the Night, based upon Thess- 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 here, where uh, Paul writes that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so we watched this movie about the rapture and what would happen to those that were not raptured. Man, that'll put the fear in you. And you'll be like, I do not want to be left behind. And I can remember coming home one day as a as a teenager and my mom wasn't home. My sisters weren't home. My dad wasn't home. I tried to call my mom at her job. I don't even know if if they answered and I could not track down any of my family. And so what did I think? That's right. I missed the rapture. I was like, oh, I know that movie. They die as martyrs. I don't want to die as a martyr. Like, no. Oh, Thank God I'm an Anglican. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. Not that I don't believe that Jesus will come again. I really, I believe that. We confess the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Yes and amen. Right? And we read in, in the book of Revelation, as John the Apostle would write the word Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. So I, I, that's all I got. It is, it is simply his return to make all things right. Nothing short of that. The rapture, we can debate on that. But his second coming and his return, no, take it to the bank. That's happening. That's happening. Ours is not to know when, but it's to look forward. It's to be faithful. And so that's what, our, that's what our gospel reading is about today, the parable that Jesus gives. He tells those listening to him in the last week of his life that the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew likes to call it, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God means the same thing. It's going to be like a man that went on a journey and he called his servants to him and he gave them his property, five talents, two talents, and one talent. And he said, take care of it. I'll be back later. The one with five, he doubled his money. Five goes to 10. The one with two turns it into four. The one with one talent sits on it. Not a good capitalist. So if we're capitalists, we like this passage and we like the first two servants. They're out making money. The third servant, not so much because he knows his master is a hard man that will gather where he does not, who will reap where he does not sow. And so he's scared. And he doesn't want to lose what's been entrusted to him. Master comes back, calls his servants and says, let's settle, the, let's settle accounts. Man with five looks good. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Man with two comes back, doubles his money. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. 
I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with one, he's just honest. (laughs) He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not winnowed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten. For to everyone who has, has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Couple of ways to read this parable. Jesus does not give any sort of explanation of this parable. He doesn't, the, the disciples, they don't ask, What are you saying? It's common to the people, they would have understood it much better than we understand it. We even misunderstand the word talents. This is talking about money. Some people think it, it's just meaning like special gifts and skills and abilities. It means that, but it, it can also mean money, right? And so we don't even fully get this all the time. The, the words don't even make sense to us, much less the historical context. This could be seen as a parable into judgment. That is one view but I tend not to take that view with it. That those, the one who only had one talent is condemned to hell. I, I wouldn't go that far with this parable, but clearly there's judgment because what he had was taken from him and he was excluded. And so it raises some questions first for, for the Jews of the day, for the Pharisees, that were guardians of the faith and the religious leaders. We give the Pharisees a hard time, and we should. Jesus' strongest words were always directed to the Pharisees. But we are not that far from them. And there's a way to look at how they were operating to say, that's actually quite understandable. That's quite reasonable. If you think back the worst thing that could have ever happened to Israel was to be spit and cast out of the land and to go into exile. The land was everything. That was God's assurance that he was with them. There would have been nothing worse than for them to be taken captive and to go into a foreign land. When they're brought back, well, they learn their lesson and they say, that is never happening again. We will observe the law. And then they went too far and they totally missed the point. They completely missed it. But what were they trying to do? Ensure that God's presence would be with them. They did not want a second exile, even though that's what they were creating. And so they were like the one with one talent. They were not offering back to God what they should have. They were sitting on what God had given them. For the church today, it is my conviction, if I can be up here, if God can use me 
in any way, every single one of you, every one of you without exception can be used by God. And you have been given gifts and abilities for his service without exception. I am constantly amazed at the people that I judge and that I discount and I dismiss and I watch them do some of the greatest things. And I put my hand over my mouth and say, forgive me, Lord. Why did I ever think that person could not be of use to you? Because he is using me. Paul called himself the chief of sinners and the least of the apostles. He didn't see some other ones coming. I have no business to stand up here in front of you all. I have no business to stand in this pulpit. But by the grace of God, as Paul said, I am what I am. And that is his servant. And I don't like to believe it. And I don't ever want to think that it's false humility, that it's some form of humble bragging. But people will share things with me. And Emily says, see, I told you. And I'm like, no, they don't understand. They just, they think, but they don't understand. But yet it is the truth. And it's a wonderful thing. I was told when I was pursuing ordination, if I could do anything else to go do it. Not to be ordained. If I could go dig ditches, go dig ditches. Don't get ordained. Unless you're called. And when people ask, Jed, how can we pray for you? It's always the same, that I would be faithful and obedient. I really don't care what comes after that. Faithful and obedient is what matters. And the turn is that it matters just as much for you all as it does for me. That you all would be faithful and obedient You are his servants as well. And we have seen just in this church over the past few years, incredible things of how people, when they open themselves up, that just floodgates, floodgates. Father Scott was sharing and preaching on this passage in the first service. And he said, I don't even want to get into what everyone has done in this congregation because I'll miss somebody. And he's right. If I started to brag, I would end up having to brag on like every single one of you. And I see it over and over again, every, almost every day that I come in this office and work with everything that we do. And we do a lot. This is, this is not a church that sits still. And we are not a staff that sits still. So I want to encourage you, for those of you serving, those of you that have been given the five or the two or the one, keep doing it. It is your ministry. It is your service to God. It's your service to the kingdom. Keep doing it. For those of you that are thinking, I really don't have that many, I don't have any gifts. I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do. Stop thinking that way. Stop it. You have been given gifts. I used to work, I worked at a lot of restaurants and I remember this one guy, Adam. 
He had the worst job in a restaurant. Anyone work in a restaurant? Anyone know what the worst job in a restaurant is? Some of you are saying it. Dishwasher. Nobody wants to be the dishwasher. Nobody. Six, seven hours and you come out soaking wet. 30 plates thrown at you with half-eaten food. There's nothing glorious about being a dishwasher. Nothing. And Adam and I, I was one of the servers and he liked the rock and roll band Rush. And so do I. And Adam, when he would see me, I'd come back with these dirty plates and glasses. And I'm, I'm in a hurry. I've got all these tables to serve and things to do. And he'd be like, hey, Jed. And he would throw out some fact about Rush. And I knew like nothing about them except some of the songs and lyrics. And he knew everything. His mind was like a steel trap. And I was amazed at what he could remember and recall. And we had so much fun and good conversations. And I remember one time I said something to him like, Adam, come on, man, you should be a server. Get, don't, get out of that dish pit. And he said, no, I could never do that. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm not that smart. And I said, stop it. You know everything there is to know about Rush and you don't have Google in front of you. You have gifts and skills. He was kind and merciful. He had what so many lack in certain ways. But everybody that saw him just saw some dishwasher that could get dirty plates thrown at him. But he is so much more than that. Rose Reed. So much more than that. I don't always delete the voicemails that people send me. And I have two from Rose where she called me. Faith and health, strength and courage. I'm praying for you. You're doing the Lord's work. Keep it up. Just before her funeral, I walked to Emily's office and I played that for her. I said, listen to this. I don't even think you know I have it, Em. And I'm like weeping listening to this, that somebody would pray for me. And the ministry that she had, because if we were at her funeral and for the so many of, here that, of you all that know her, that ministry she had of calling people, it mattered. It mattered. It will bring souls to heaven. It will bear fruit. Connie Odoms. Connie was on my discernment committee. I wouldn't be here as a priest without her. But it's because she said, yes, I'll sit on that committee and I'll tell this idiot what he doesn't know. And he'll learn. And I did. Connie stretched me the most on that, on that committee too. I, man, I can remember. I'd come out of conversations and be like, are you serious, Lord, her? Really, this? She was exactly right every time. Every single time. So the question for us, John Chrysostom, 15, 1600 years ago, basically, how did he sum up this passage? Use it or lose it. Right? It's not as eloquent as his name. Chrysostom is Greek for like golden tongue or golden mouth. He was like this just phenomenal preacher. But I'll summarize him in a crude way. Use it or lose it. 
what you have, will you offer it back to the Lord so that even more can be done to the glory of his name for the advance of his kingdom? What greater job? What greater than to serve our Lord? Or do we sit on it and we say someone else will do that? Somebody that's got better skills. You have to put up and listen to me. There are much better preachers than myself. But I got the mic today, so you're going to listen. But what will you do? Will you continue to tell yourself or to believe what the evil one would have you believe? That you are worthless and you have no giftings or skills or nothing to offer God? You have been created by him. He doesn't mess up. The question is, will you say yes? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the most insignificant. And what happens to it? This huge tree that the birds will make their nests and their homes in. Small things are the best. Insignificant things are the best. The throwaways are the best. What's the best dog to get at a pound? A mutt. They make the best pets. But we want the pure breed. We want everything special. Stop it. Say yes to the Lord. He's waiting to use you. The kindness, but there is a severity because the clock runs out. If we get apathetic and we get lazy because we believe that he will come again, then the clock is running. It will hit zero and he will come back. So, as our collect says, as, our, as we prayed earlier, stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people, that bringing forth in abundance the fruit of good works, that they may be abundantly rewarded when our Savior, Jesus Christ, comes to restore all things. Lord, may it be today. For those who have said yes and are saying yes, Lord, would you bless them? Would you continue to bring fruit from their faithful and obedient service, for those that are still finding their way, for those who have believed the lies of the evil one, open their eyes, open their hearts. Let us remember we have not been destined for destruction, but for life with you. You did not come to this world, Lord, to condemn it, but to save it. So help us, help us, give us the grace to say yes to you. Give us eyes that see ourselves as you see us and give us eyes that see others as you see others. Would you prick our hearts when we dismiss people and we think that there might be someone that doesn't really have much to offer and let us be quick to repent as you are quick to forgive This is all for your glory, Lord. So come, help us say yes to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.